Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Good evening, everyone. It has been 20 years and still no answers in the case of Tammy Zawicki. And tonight, federal agents making a passionate plea for help in hopes of bringing a killer to justice. Investigators are trying to determine if a 58-year-old arrested in Waterloo this week for the deaths of three women could be connected to other unsolved murders. Officers say new DNA evidence tied Clark Perry Baldwin to the deaths of those three women whose bodies were dumped in Wyoming and Tennessee. According to court documents, Baldwin, a long-haul trucker from Iowa, also raped and choked a woman in Texas in 1991. Baldwin is being held without bail at the Black Hawk County Jail. Katie Johnston for CBS2 Chicago. So 21-year-old Tammy Zawicki eased her 1985 Pontiac sedan into the emergency lane, turned on the flashers, and got out of the car. A truck driver stopped to help. Moments later, she was gone. Well, we've never really conclusively identified where that truck was from, what truck line or truck company it uh, was part of. And we don't even know if the truck driver was the, uh, the person responsible for the kidnapping. Nine days later, Tammy's body was found along Interstate 44 in southwest Missouri. She had been sexually assaulted and stabbed to death. And while investigators collected physical evidence at the scene, they have never been able to corral a killer. The problem with, with all physical evidence that you recover, whether it's DNA, uh, a latent fingerprint, you have to have a known sample to compare it to. And right now, that's what we don't have. Illinois State Police did not respond to our request for comment, but People Magazine reports police told them the investigation is continuing with recent advances in DNA technology. From 7 on Main and Maxwell, 7 News. People Magazine Investigates is highlighting the 1992 murder of an Eastside High School graduate in this true crime series. 7 News reporter Ann Maxwell has our update. The 21-year-old was driving to college in Iowa when she disappeared. Her body was found on the side of a Missouri highway, but she always considered Greenville home. Now the family is hoping new advances in DNA technology will help bring them closure. There is a reward of up to $50,000 for information that leads to the identification of whoever is responsible for this crime. A reward of up to $50,000 now being offered for any information leading to the identification of the person or persons responsible for the murder of Tammy Zawicki. If you have any tips, call your local police department or the FBI immediately. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of Who Killed? I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media podcast. Over the past hundred or so episodes, we have covered more than a few cases that focus on serial killings, such as the New Bedford Highway Killer and the Colonial Parkway Murders. The thing these two cases have in common is the bodies of these victims were found on the sides of roads or highways. And with the creation of the interstate system in the mid-1950s, Civil engineers accidentally cracked open the door to a more secretive and quicker way to leave a crime scene. And with all that being said, we are going to be talking about the case of Tammy Zawicki, who is maybe one of those highway victims 
as she was last seen on Interstate 80 after her car broke down. Now, I'm going to reference here from an excellent article written by Chicago Tribune reporters Grace Wong and Catherine Rosenberg Douglas from August 22, 2017. Quote, The day before the 25th anniversary of Tammy Zawicki's kidnapping and murder, the FBI and Illinois State Police announced they are using modern technology to retest evidence in her killing. Zawicki was a 21-year-old college student having traveled from her New Jersey home to her last year in college in Grinnell, Iowa. She had left Evanston, where she dropped off her brother at Northwestern University, but she never arrived at Grinnell College. Now, she was last seen with her car on Interstate 80 at mile marker 83 in LaSalle County between 3 and 4 p.m. on August 23, 1992. Her car, a 1985 white Pontiac T-1000, was found by an Illinois state police trooper and marked as abandoned. An extensive search was conducted. Zwicky's body was discovered by accident on September 1st, 1992, alongside a Missouri highway. Her body was hundreds of miles away along Interstate 44 in rural Lawrence County, Missouri, wrapped in a red blanket that was sealed with duct tape. She had been stabbed eight times and sexually assaulted, the Tribune reported. And again, in 2017, the FBI was asking for the public's help. Witnesses said a semi-truck was near her vehicle before she went missing, and the truck driver was described as a white male, 35 to 40 years old, and just standing over six feet tall with dark, semi-bushy hair. Quote, there have been and continue to be several persons of interest, said Master Sergeant Matt Bearwinkle, a state police spokesman. Quote, however, no suspects have been named and no arrests have been made, unquote. As we all know by now, DNA testing and the science involved is improving rapidly. So, quote, investigators are coming up with new ways to retest exhibits to find DNA strands on materials at labs for the state police and FBI, as well as the other labs outside of law enforcement. Now, a couple items of note that were not recovered were Zawicki's Canon 35mm camera and a Loris brand musical watch that played the tune Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head with a green band and a green umbrella on its face. Now, she also had a red and white soccer patch monogrammed with St. Giles Soccer Club from Greenville, South Carolina. And the FBI at the time, and still is, offering a reward of up to $50,000 for any information, you know, leading to the arrest of anybody involved in this crime. And I will post a link to the article, as well as her missing poster and details of her disappearance in the show notes. And again, this was a great article by Grace Wong and Catherine Rosenberg Douglas of the Chicago Tribune. Very informative, and again, I will provide a link, and it's definitely worth reading. Miss Zawicki is just one of hundreds of unsolved murders along the country's interstates. The Federal Highway Commission says, quote, The interstate system has been called the greatest public works project in history. 
From the day President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed the Federal Aid Highway Act of 1956, the interstate system has been a part of our culture as construction projects and as transportation in our daily lives and as an integral part of the American way of life. Every citizen has been touched by it, if not directly as motorists, then indirectly because every item we buy has been on the interstate system at some point. President Eisenhower considered it one of the most important achievements in his two terms in office, and historians agree. Again, one of the other things historians agree on is that the building of this interconnected system created the perfect conditions for serial killers to commit crimes in one community and return to another. This was clearly the case with the Golden State Killer. Even though he wasn't a truck driver, he would use the ease of access to commit crimes miles from where he lived. The LA Times put out a great article about how the building of the interstates that crisscross our country fueled serial killing. So much so that the FBI created the Highway Serial Killings Initiative. And here is the press release announcing the new task force from 2009, which I'm going to read directly from. Quote, in 2004, an analyst from the Oklahoma Bureau of Investigation detected a crime pattern. The bodies of m murdered women were being dumped along the Interstate 40 corridor in Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, and Mississippi. The analyst and a police colleague from the Grapevine, Texas Police Department referred these cases to our Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, or VICAP where our analysts looked at other records in our database to see if there were similar patterns of highway killings elsewhere. Turns out there were. So we launched an extensive effort to support our state and local partners with open investigations into highway murders. Today, we're publicly announcing our Highway Serial Killings Initiative to raise awareness among law enforcement agencies and the general public about this issue and our unique assistance on these cases. First, some background. The victims in these cases are primarily women who are living high-risk, transient lifestyles, often involving substance abuse and prostitution. They're frequently picked up at truck stops or service stations and sexually assaulted, murdered, and dumped along a highway. The suspects are predominantly long-haul truck drivers. But the mobile nature of the offenders, the unsafe lifestyle of the victims, the significant distances and multiple jurisdictions involved, and the scarcity of forensic and witnesses can make these cases tough to solve. Enter VICAP, part of our National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crime and a national repository of violent crimes. The database, which contains information on homicides, sexual assaults, missing persons, and unidentified human remains, is available to law enforcement throughout the country over a secure internet link on our law enforcement online. VICAP analysts have created a national matrix of more than 500 murder victims from along or near highways, as well as a list of some 200 potential suspects. Names of suspects contributed by law enforcement agencies are examined by analysts who develop timelines using a variety of sources of information. When the initiative was launched and announced publicly in 2009, at least 10 suspects believed responsible for some 30 homicides had been placed in custody, including a trucker arrested in Tennessee charged with four murders and a trucker charged with one murder in Massachusetts 
and another in New Jersey. But what about this case that started it all? The series of murdered women being dumped along the Interstate 40 corridor in Oklahoma and three other states. Two people who were working together have been charged with some of the murders, and the investigation to tie them to the others continues. This article I referenced before reading the press release, they state that the unit is housed in a nondescript brick building on the outskirts of Washington, D.C. And this is where FBI analysts pour over reports and computer entries looking for patterns and slains from California to Connecticut. Since the program began, more than two dozen killings have been solved, authorities say. Overseas, the Highway Serial Killings Initiative said the program helps local police connect the dots to slains outside their jurisdictions. He said most of the victims, as mentioned before, led high-risk lifestyles that left them particularly vulnerable. Quote, we don't want to scare the public and make it seem like every time you stop for gas, you should look over your shoulder, unquote. But many of these victims made poor choices. But that doesn't mean they deserve to die, unquote. Again, it's a really great article. And again, like I mentioned before, I'll provide a link in the show notes. Now, of course, this is not to say that all truck drivers are serial killers, nor are all serial killers truck drivers, but patterns in the roadside body dumps and other evidence has prompted many to speculate that the mobility, lack of supervision, and access to potential victims that just so happen to come with the job are the perfect cover for anybody who wants to kill. So one investigator told the LA Times in that article, quote, you've got a mobile crime scene. You can pick up a girl on the East Coast, kill her two states away, and then dump her three states after that. And again, the reason I bring all of this up in regard to Tammy's case is because she was last seen on Interstate 80, and witnesses say there may have been a semi near her car. Plus, her body was found hundreds of miles away in another state. In an article by Ryan J. Foley of the Associated Press, Investigators from multiple states were looking into a certain long-haul truck driver from Iowa who was implicated in at least three women's slains in the 1990s, and he may be possible for other unsolved homicides. And this person was Clark Perry Baldwin, 58, of Waterloo. Now, he was arrested when DNA evidence allegedly tying him to three women whose bodies were dumped in Wyoming and Tennessee. Court documents allege that he also raped and choked a woman in Texas in 1991. So detectives with the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation were looking into any connections that Baldwin may have had to cold cases from that time span. And Special Agent Mike Kratful said other agencies were scrutinizing Baldwin given that he traveled the country. He went on to say, quote, obviously there are several cases that need to be followed up on. And one of those cases of interest was the 1992 death of Tammy Zawicki, who was, again, just 21 at the time. In Wyoming, Baldwin was charged with the deaths of two women whose bodies were found in 1992, and they were found 400 miles apart. And again, these people were never identified, unfortunately, and they were actually nicknamed Bitter Creek Betty and I-90 Jane Doe. 
Now, in Tennessee, Baldwin is charged with two counts of murder in the 1991 killing of a 32-year-old pregnant woman from Topping, Virginia, Pamela McCall, and her fetus. Now, a Tennessee crime lab developed a DNA profile of a suspect in McCall's death last year after a cold case investigator submitted it for evidence and analysis. And a check in a national database matched the profile to one that had been developed years earlier, linking the two Wyoming deaths. Now, investigators focused on Baldwin after finding DNA in a commercial genealogy database of someone related to the suspect's profile. And last month in Waterloo, the FBI secretly collected DNA from Baldwin's trash and a shopping cart he used at Walmart, and testing revealed that it was a match. Again, you hear these stories all the time, and it sounds like it's crazy. You know, it sounds like something straight out of a television show. And it is some way, that's exactly how it gets done. Now, the article goes on to say that the Tennessee District Attorney General Brent Cooper uh, praised investigators for, quote, bringing this serial killer to justice. I'm also very happy to be able to give Rose McCall's mother a chance to see justice for her daughter's and granddaughter's murder. As she puts it in a recent phone call, at least I have a grave to visit. Some moms don't even have that. Court documents say that Baldwin allegedly raped a female hitchhiker from Kansas in Wheeler County, Texas, at gunpoint in his truck in 1991. The 21-year-old woman told police that Baldwin struck her in the head, bound her hands and mouth, and then tried to choke her to death. He allegedly admitted to the assault, but was released pending grand jury proceedings. Unfortunately, he was never prosecuted on that case. And, again, Baldwin was a long-haul truck driver. He basically fit the mold, and he had previously lived in Iowa and Missouri. So, like, he was looking as good of a suspect for Tammy's disappearance as any, I have an unfortunate update to give you. Authorities in Illinois say an Iowa man charged in 1990 serial killings, quote, does not appear to have been involved in the unsolved 1992 slaying of a college student. The Illinois State Police said Friday that Clark Perry Baldwin is not a suspect in the death of 21-year-old Tammy Zwicky. The statement appeared to rule out what had seemed to be a promising lead in the case of Zwicky, who was abducted after experiencing car troubles on Interstate 80 near LaSalle, Illinois, in 1992. She was returning from Evanston, Illinois, to Grinnell College in Iowa. Again, her body was found in Missouri days later with evidence of stabbing and sexual assault. Police had arrested Baldwin, a former truck driver, at his home in Waterloo, Iowa, on Wednesday, and he was charged with the deaths of two women who were found in Wyoming, in 1992, and a woman whose body was found the prior year in Tennessee. And a retired investigator who worked on Zwicky's case had told the LaSalle News Tribune that the allegations against Baldwin in the other cases fit the profile of the person who killed Zwicky. But the Illinois State Police didn't elaborate on why Baldwin isn't suspected But the case remains under investigation. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. 
At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. Let's take a minute to hear from this week's sponsor, BetterHelp. As I have stated many times before, I have had to deal with just a bit of anxiety and depression in my life, and now I'm happy to say that there is an easy way to get help. Because if there is something that is interfering with your happiness or is holding you back from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. You'll be able to connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's convenient because, well, it needs to be in the current world we live in. So now you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. All you have to do is schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus you can chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp really is there for you. They have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. And if for whatever reason you aren't happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time. You can even download apps for your computer or smartphone. So whether you're suffering from depression or anxiety, anger, stress, relationship issues, not getting enough sleep at night, trauma, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief or self-esteem, they literally have a licensed professional counselor for you. And of course, everything you share is confidential. My favorite part is that it's actually an affordable option. Who Killed listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code WHO. So why not get started today? Go to BetterHelp.com slash WHO. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, for 10% off, go to BetterHelp.com slash WHO. All right, we're back. What we do know is that Baldwin was not the only trucker using the highways as his killing grounds, as the Highway Killing Initiative shows. Heck, every state probably has a few of their own. Here in Ohio, where I'm from, we actually had the arrest of Samuel Legg III. In February 2019, the FBI announced the arrest of former Elyria, Ohio, put a pin in that one, resident Samuel Legg III. The Ohio Attorney General, Medina County officials, and police announced the arrest of Samuel Legg III. According to Ohio officials, technical assistance from the Ohio Attorney General's Bureau of Criminal Investigation and years of police work recently led to a DNA match. Officials said Legg's DNA is also linked to four homicides, but indictments in those cases are pending. Authorities in Ohio traveled to Arizona to extradite Legg. Legg is currently charged with two counts of rape and will be arraigned on Thursday in Medina County Common Pleas Court. One of those four homicides was the 1997 murder of Julie A. Conkle. 
Lake County, Illinois Sheriff John Eidelberg announced through a collaborative effort with multiple law enforcement entities the arrest and capture of suspected serial killer Samuel Legg, 52, of Chandler, Arizona. The investigation into the case by the Lake County Sheriff's Office stemmed from the 1997 murder of Julie A. Conkle when she was only 39 years of age. The Lake County Sheriff's Office Cold Case Unit, Federal Bureau of Investigations, Chicago Field Office, and Lake County's Attorney's Office, as well as the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation, BCI, authorities in Medina County, Wood County, Lorain County, and Mahoning County, collaborated throughout the extensive investigation. And on October 23, 1997, it was Conkle's body who was discovered deceased behind an abandoned truck stop located in Russell, Illinois. Following an autopsy, Conkle's death was ruled a homicide caused by asphyxiation by manual strangulation. The sheriff's office conducted an extensive investigation, and after all leads were exhausted, her case went cold. Now, in 2006, the combined DNA index system, as we all know is CODIS, linked DNA collected from Conkle's homicide with a 1996 homicide in Wood County, Ohio, and again in 2012 with a 1992 homicide in Mahoning County, Ohio. Now, Legg was charged in February in the 1992 murder of Sharon Lynn Kadzierski, whose body was found near the Universal Truck Mall parking lot in Austintown, Ohio. Unfortunately, a judge has twice found Legg incompetent to stand trial for Kadirsky's murder. And again, Legg's DNA was not actually logged into CODIS because he had not been arrested in or convicted of a felony since collecting began, which resulted in the collected DNA samples being labeled as that of an unknown male contributor. And in 2018, the unknown male contributor DNA was tested looking for a familial or direct connection. And guess what? A familial connection was found. So as the connection was investigated, the link basically steered them towards Leg. And Leg has subsequently been found to be one in one trillion match as being the source of the DNA found on Conkle. So, again, at the time of these homicides, Leg was, again, a long-haul truck driver, primarily working in the Midwest and living in Ohio. In January 2019, Medina, Ohio authorities obtained an arrest warrant for Leg for a separate 1997 sexual assault case. At this time, Leg was living in Arizona, where he was arrested and subsequently extradited to Ohio, where he was interviewed by Lake County Sheriff detectives and Ohio authorities regarding the homicides. After reviewing the facts and evidence in the murder investigation of Conkle, the Lake County State's Attorney's Office approved two counts of first-degree murder for Leg on July 29, 2020. The Lake County Sheriff's Office cold case unit appeared in Lake County Court where a judge approved the arrest arrest warrant for Mr. Legg. And again, unfortunately, as I mentioned before, Legg has been declared incompetent to stand trial due to his mental state. This leaves more than a few questions left unanswered, 
for now, one of those unanswered questions is one Angela Hicks. Put a pin in that one for a future episode. The judge declared Leg incompetent to stand trial and that his competency cannot be restored after a report by mental health professionals who evaluated him reached the same conclusion. He was ordered to be held in a treatment facility with the hope that his competency can be restored. Now back to Tammy Zawicki. With all the negative things that we've seen about social media in the past, I don't know, forever since it's been created, it's easy to uh, look past some groups that actually do good things and use their power to help society. And I'd say one example is the social media group trying to solve Tammy Zwicky's murder. There was actually a news story uh, this past March by CBS2 in Iowa that states, It was 12 years ago when Patrick Jones, a stranger and a father of two girls who reminded him of Tammy, couldn't stop thinking about her case. This led to the creation of Who Killed Tammy Zwicky Facebook page. Quote, my wife, every day, and I'm not joking, every day, my wife, we talk, and she'll go, somebody knows something today, or somebody's going to post something today. We got some good information a while back, and she was just so hopeful every day, and would just wake up and say, today's the day, and hopefully one day she's going to say it, and it will be the day, said Jones. Now, there's more than 1,700 members now, and posts welcoming new people coming weekly, weekly. And, quote, at one point we were happy we had 100 members and everyone's jumping up and down. Hey, we have 100 members. And I think we have a little more now, said Jones. Now, the goal, of course, in any of these Facebook social media type of groups is to be a resource. And, again, Tammy's case needs to be kept alive because it is basically 30 years old. And I know this is just one of those many examples of Facebook groups doing actual good with their platform. And it's refreshing to see people using the power of social media to find answers for these families who are otherwise left, you know, basically miserable with the fact that they don't know who committed these crimes against their family members or friends. And it's been, you know, three decades since Tammy Zwicky was found in Missouri. And we can at least be hopeful about the fact that technology has, no pun intended, apologies, cliche, whatever, jumped leaps and bounds in the last 30 years. I mean, the last 10 years, it's been incredible. And the things investigators once believed to be fiction are pretty much solving cases that we thought to be unsolvable. Like, as of April 2019, GEDmatch had been used in at least 59 cold case arrests, most of which were the work of Parabon Nanolabs and their chief genetic genealogist, C.C. Moore, as well as 11 Jane and John Doe identifications across the U.S., most of which were run and funded by the DNA Doe Project. Now, C.C. Moore may be a name that you are familiar with, She is a very popular name in the DNA game, and I actually had a chance to speak with her at CrimeCon in 2018, and I did ask her if she would investigate or had heard about the Mihaljevic case, and 
she did know something about it, and so, you know, there was some talk, but again, they don't have that much DNA there. Anyway, she has been a leader, amongst others, who have turned science into one of law enforcement's most powerful weapons. If there is DNA, there is a good chance they will be able to help your investigation. And let's not forget about the biggest news of the week, the arrest of Kristen Smart's killer. According to NBC News, a man connected to the disappearance of college student Kristen Smart in 1996 was arrested on a murder charge Tuesday, California authorities said. San Luis Obispo County Sheriff Ian Parkinson said at a news conference Tuesday that the man, Paul Flores, 44, was arrested and charged with one count of murder in connection with Smart's disappearance. Flores was arrested in San Pedro in Los Angeles County and transported to San Luis Obispo County, Parkinson said. Now he is being held without bail. Smart, who in 1996 was a 19-year-old college student at California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo, disappeared after she went to a party. Flores, who was Smart's friend, was reported to have walked her home from that party. Smart, who was unfortunately never found, was declared dead in 2002. Flores's father, Ruben Flores, 80, was also arrested Tuesday. He was charged with one count of being an accessory after the fact. Bail was set at $250,000. Again, Kristen Smart was last seen in May 1996. Now, a lawyer representing Paul Flores, Sarah Sanger, said her firm would not comment about pending cases, and Harold Misick, an attorney to Ruben Flores, declined to comment because he has not yet been able to contact his client. Now, again, this case is one of those cases that have been in true crime lore for since it began in 1996, and Paul Flores has long been considered a person of interest in the case. And it got renewed attention from the podcast community with the podcast Your Own Backyard. Quote, Throughout our investigation, Paul Flores has remained a person of significant interest, Parkinson, the sheriff, said Tuesday. And, quote, As the case progressed, became a suspect and the prime suspect in this case. Unquote. Now, an area near where the campus where Smart was a student was searched in 2016 and actually excavated. Last year, Flores' home in Los Angeles was also searched, and there were other locations on the West Coast as well. So on Tuesday, Parkinson revealed that his office interviewed more people in 2019, and many came to light thanks to the podcast. So... Kudos to the podcast creators. Now, another warrant was served in March in Arroyo Grande at the home of Ruben Flores, Parkinson said. Quote, as a result of this evidence, a San Luis Obispo Superior Court judge signed two arrest warrants and two additional search warrants, unquote, Parkinson said. Now, the Floreses were arrested simultaneously in Los Angeles and San Luis Obispo counties early Tuesday. Quote, we have not recovered Kristen, unquote, Parkinson said, adding later that he pr- promised Smart's parents that we are not going to stop until Kristen is recovered. Someone always knows something. 
If you are one of those people holding on to a secret you know will help a family grieve properly, I implore you to step up. You can do it anonymously, as there is a great amount of guilt you must carry with that knowledge. Crime Stoppers is one way of relieving yourself of the burden. Again, I'm not trying to blame people who fear for their lives if they know something they shouldn't. I'm giving you a way to let someone know, and you can stay out of it. All it takes is one tip, and a cold case can once again become hot. And we can only hope there is resolution for the Zawicki family and the hundreds of others who suffer without knowing who killed their friend or family member. I would like you guys to stick around after my outro to listen to an original story produced by CBS2 Iowa. And it's very intriguing. It actually names a possible suspect. And again, it would only make sense to play the whole story in its entirety. So it's only two minutes and 12 seconds long, but it's original reporting from CBS2 Iowa. And it's fascinating. So again, stay tuned after the outro for that news clip. Again, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much to this week's sponsor, BetterHelp.com. And thank you to the listener for tuning in to this week's episode. As a reminder, I drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I will also be dropping a new season of my Passion Case this spring, so look for new episodes on Tuesdays once the new season launches. If you guys have any information concerning Tammy Zwicky's murder, please contact your local FBI office or submit a tip via Crime Stoppers. Again, you can do it anonymously. Her hometown of Greenville, South Carolina, has an FBI field office, and that can be reached at 1-803-551-4200. By this podcast, you can always help support the show by clicking on the donate button in the show notes or via the Venmo app with my username at bill-huffman-3. And seriously, every contribution, big or small, keeps these slow burn podcasts going. And you can also support the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Those five stars help keep the important cases I cover, such as Tammy Zawicki's, Amy Mahalovic's, Cynthia Anderson, and many more in the spotlight. If you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. So again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay healthy and be safe. It is a murder that has gone unsolved for more than two decades. College student Tammy Zywicki killed as she drove herself to school. But tonight, a man who once worked the case says he believes he knows who is responsible. CBS 2's Mike Parker has more in this original report. I believe it can be solved. And that's what, that's what the most important thing to me. We can identify, I believe, the killer. Retired Illinois State Police Master Sergeant Martin McCarthy was a member of the task force investigating the 1992 abduction and murder of Tammy Zywicki. Although he's been off the job for 13 years, he hasn't given up the search for her killer. This is my first rodeo. You know, I've done homicides for many, many years. 
the most obvious guy is the guy who did it. Not like television or movies, it's the most obvious guy. McCarthy believes it was Lonnie Beerbrot, now dead, a felon on parole, who kidnapped the 22-year-old college student from alongside her disabled car on I-80 near LaSalle, raped and killed her in his truck, then dumped her body near Interstate 44 near Springfield, Missouri, not far from Beerbrot's home. He was a violent convicted felon. Uh, armed robbery, two armed robberies, and attempt murder. He did three consecutive 10-year sentences. McCarthy says Beerbrot has been placed in LaSalle County on the day Zywicki disappeared, and that a witness has identified Beerbrot as the man she saw standing alongside the victim along the highway. McCarthy also says Beerbrot had his truck steam cleaned, then sold it not long after the murder. Why do you keep at this? Because I think that murder is forever. We never, ever stop. And there's something else. One witness says Beerbrot gave away as a gift a key piece of evidence, an unusual music box wristwatch, the same kind of watch that was missing from Tammy Zawicki's suitcase. Beerbrot died in 2002. McCarthy says he hopes authorities finally see the case his way and just close it after all these years. The Zawicki family, he says, needs some closure. Robin Cape. Yeah, indeed they do. All right, thanks. thanks. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.